0: What's going on and welcome into the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek on this Wednesday. I'm Daniel Salerson joined by my co-host as always Jim Ikenoff for Pelicans.com and our guest for today is Will Guillory who covers the Pelicans in the NBA for the Athletic. For me he's known as my pullover pal. We've now changed that name to the band buddies because we can't get into practice. I think Jim can also join us on that as well because no one is allowed to practice so this is the only way we the can man all meet boys. up is all Zoom reporting. So, well, I it's good to see your face. I know the people on the podcast can't see it, but I appreciate you coming on, my friend.
1: I appreciate you guys for having me. I always look forward to talking to my guys. I miss being in the media section with y'all, making fun of Jim for screaming at people for not shooting <laughs> the half-course shots at the buzzer. So it's always great to talk to you guys. You know, when you when you said the nickname, that's the first time I've heard that. The
2: band buddies. I thought you guys were starting up a band or something. <laughs> you meant like band, as in your band from the facility, right? I, right? Do I have that right? Okay. Correct. Exactly. Okay.
1: We're all band. So we're the band. I, boys. I mean, if we okay. want okay. to <laughs> start a band together,
0: if we want to start a band together, now's the time. You know, we can, <laughs> we can get that going as well. That's true. Yeah. We could use the use the time that we spend
2: watching practice to. To put together some, write some music, and start performing on the road.
0: If we yeah, ever we got get on nothing the road. but time, that's yeah. for sure.
1: Nothing but time on our hands.
0: That's the thing we miss. Is uh, you know, I follow Will on Instagram. He's putting up memories of games from last year, and it's like just the traveling. Like we see, get to see Will on the road uh, just as much as we see him at home. And so I, I know we're all missing that, and hopefully we can get back to that uh real soon. But Will, I did want to bring up training camp a little bit, and that's one of the tougher things. Is usually we're able to go into practice and watch, and you guys come in and see probably the last 20 or 30 minutes of practice before we get to speak to the players and that's just not the case this year so one we're just relying on these zoom media availabilities and some of the b-roll that is shot from the pelicans they do a good job posting that on social media but is there any trends you're noticing from what you're hearing from whether it's Stan Van Gundy or some of the players through the first week and a half of training camp and media availabilities or anything that's sticking out to you so far
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, it's just the constant talk about defense. I mean, it's what we expected with Stan Van Gundy coming in, but literally he tells us his first day of training camp is three hours of defense. (laughs) There's no full court work, no five-on-five, just doing defensive drills, nailing down defensive fundamentals, communication, all of the stuff we've heard over and over again was the issue with this team. And Stan Van Gundy has come in and made it a priority to fix that problem and do it immediately because he doesn't have that much time. I mean, you know, it's only a few more days before they're playing an the actual first preseason game, which is insane. Uh, but yeah, I think the constant, you know, focus on defense and making sure everybody's on the same page on that end. And I think also uh, a few different times unsolicited, Stan Van Gundy has brought up how impressive Zion Williamson has been during some of these practice sessions. I think the, the word he used yesterday was overwhelming, was how he looked in one of the five-on-five sessions going downhill, getting his teammates involved. So I think that's something as a reporter uh, I always pay attention to is who the coaches bring up when you don't ask about them and just who they just kind of say, hey, this is the guy I want to talk about because he's playing so well. And I think Zion's one of those guys, and Pelicans fans have to be excited about that because everybody wants to know what he's looking like, what type of shape he's in, how prepared is he for year two. And I think from what we've heard so far, it seems like he's coming in hot and ready to do some big things.
0: Absolutely. It's certainly something to get excited about for Pelicans fans. And when you're talking to these players, I think the name of the game this year, and I think Jim and Will, you all agree with me is how depth is going to be super important just based on COVID protocols. If, if someone's missing, they could be out for a couple weeks. You know, that's where you're going to see these teams and who really has the depth and who doesn't. Um, I know we haven't been able to see a preseason game yet, but just looking at these team, this team on paper and looking at some of the things you've heard from media availability, you seem like you feel like this team does have the depth it needs to kind of contend here and at least to try to get in the playoffs this season well.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is is once you get past guy number seven, because I think we all know what Josh Hart and JJ Redick are going to bring off the bench. Those guys are going to be very valuable. But once you get into the Nikhil Alexander-Walkers, the Nicolo Melli, the Jackson Hayes, these guys are going into their second year You know, coming off of the rookie season where they played probably a lot more than they expected other than Nikhil. I think he, he his minutes were limited just because there were so many guards last season. But I think once you get past Josh Hart and JJ Redick, I think that's the big question, how much those other guys are going to contribute. Uh, I think you 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 could even maybe even throw a Kyra Lewis in there because I think Stan Van Gundy has made a point of saying he wants to play multiple point guard lineups he wants to put two maybe even three point guards out there at the same time and you gotta love to hear that if you're Kyra Lewis because that means you're gonna get a chance to play and you're gonna get an opportunity to show what you can do so I think uh, like I said I think they feel pretty good about their top seven they They're rock solid there but I think there's some there's more to prove once you get beyond that uh, some of those extended bench guys because they just haven't played as much because they were rookies last year Mellie got a lot of opportunities but I think They're going to have to prove it this year to kind of lock down spots in the rotation.
0: Before I get to Jim, one more question for me real quick. Um, When you look at Stan Van Gundy offense, it's really not known for the the pace, the style of play that we saw from this Pelicans Mm -hmm. team under head coach Alvin Gentry. And and again, we have we will not have that really until we get to see them on Monday and then next Friday in a preseason game. But from what you've known from Stan and what you're hearing from players, what do you expect the offense to look like? Uh, come Monday with basically a brand new team, and a brand new system.
1: Yeah, and that's something I asked And Gundy about in one of those Zoom sessions. Was, you know, his teams, you know, for the most part, have been bottom 10 in the league for in pace, you know, especially, you know, some of the, I think one of those Detroit teams were second to last, like 29th in the league in pace. And he said, you know, a lot of that, he he doesn't have as much face in the pace numbers. You know, shocker, a coach doesn't believe in the analytics as much. Uh, But I think he's a guy that's always going to push, hey, the way you get out and run is by getting stops on defense. And I think that's what he's going to push with these young guys. Hey, we're not just running just to run. We want to run off of turnovers. We want to run off of missed shots. And I think a, a big thing that he stressed coming into New Orleans was that he liked, the pace that these team played with he enjoyed watching Lonzo ball push push it up the court in transition and get his teammates involved how Zion was able to score so much in transition i think it's hard to really coach this team without emphasizing playing fast because so many of these guys succeed you know playing in transition whether you look at Lonzo Zion i think JJ Redick gets a whole lot of his three point looks in transition so i think to get to make sure this team is successful you're going to have to encourage them to push play fast but I think the first priority is going to be getting stops to getting to, to run. And I think the less of pulling the ball out of the basket to run like they did last year, uh, the more they're going to have success. But I do think they're going to slow down a little bit just because I don't know if Stan is as comfortable being a top five, you know, pace team the way this club has been basically for the past five years. But I think he's still going to put uh, emphasize that part of the game because that's the way this roster is built.
2: Yeah. You know, well, I think, one of the things I thought was very interesting when he talked about how he's, I don't know if skeptical of the analytics is the right word, or he doesn't, doesn't totally believe in hundred percent in the numbers. He made a good point where he said that, you know, teams that play really well defensively tend to make the opponent take longer on their possessions. And that kind of mm-hmm. will affect their pace numbers. I think it would be interesting for someone to kind of study that is, I mean, we, we have measurements for everything. We have like how many times a guy tied his sneakers in the second quarter of a, a Thursday night game in Memphis. So I, that is, int- that, but I thought that was an interesting point as far as, you know, some of the teams that are great defensively, it does seem like a lot of them aren't high pace teams, but then again, you have a team like Milwaukee that has been near the top of the league and also has been pretty high in the pace numbers as well. So that's just, that was just an, an aside that one of the things that I thought about when he was talking about that. But um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that, uh, I thought was interesting where you said that um, you always pay attention to what coaches talk, which players coaches talk about when you don't ask them about the player, which I think is a really good good way to look at it. One guy yesterday that was actually specifically asked about that. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on was Kyra Lewis. You, you you talked about him just a second ago, a little bit, but um, based on what was discussed about him by Stan Van Gundy and JJ Reddick yesterday, I mean, I'm sure there's fans that are thinking this, so I figured I would get your thoughts on this as well. Um, based on what they talked about yesterday, is it time to get excited about Kyra or is it the kind of thing where you want to wait to see a little bit more or, or, cause I mean, it was, I thought it was unusual personally to hear just the the praise for somebody, for a rookie that that soon into camp. So what was your kind of takeaway from what we heard yesterday?
1: Yeah, I still want to actually see him play. I I, I joked about this on Twitter that I'm not falling for any of these pictures or any of these videos that are released from practices. I want to see actual games before I judge anybody on this team. But I do think it's very good to hear. I I think we heard it from J.J. uh, and Coach yesterday was that they brought up that he's very coachable. He, he loves listening to, to his different coaches and his, and his vets on his team. He always wants to take in advice. He, he's, he's, he's very, you know, attentive to what everybody has to say to him because this rookie process is so different for him and all of the rookies around the league with the shortened training camp, getting into the facility so late before these preseason games start. I think you got to take in so much information. Uh, the more we are to take on that information, the better you'll be early on. And I think uh, another interesting thing was that when we talked to Eric Bledsoe, uh, he said they're both Alabama guys, but they don't really know each other. Eric Bledsoe wasn't really all that familiar with him, but he said they, they play in a similar way in that when Eric Bledsoe came into the league, he was also a guy that relied on his speed a lot. And that's what got him into the league. And a lot of those guys who rely on their athleticism so much at the point guard position, you have to learn when to take that, when to turn it on and when to turn it off when to kind of be in third gear and then when to push it in fifth gear. And I think a lot of times Eric Bledsoe brought it up that a lot of times a rookie or Kyra, they just want to play in fifth gear all the time. They just want to move a hundred miles per hour all the time. And you got to learn that, that's not always a key to success in the NBA because these guys are so smart and they're so athletic in this league. So I think that's a big thing for them, having a guy like Eric Bledsoe who can say, hey, I was in your shoes at one point. You got to learn how to slow it down sometimes and read the court. And I think that was very good. And also JJ Redding bringing up that his shooting was a lot better than he expected. I think that's always a good thing to see a guy who's very fast, who can shoot the ball at this stage in his career. I think that's really important for his growth. So yeah, you're exactly right. We've heard a lot of good things about him. I still want to see him in the game, though, before I'm ready to, you know, induct him into the Hall of Fame or anything like that. So let's let's watch him play his first preseason game. Then we can see, you know, what the next steps are.
2: Sure. And, and I think one of the things that we talked about on this podcast um, maybe a couple weeks ago was you, you mentioned the shortened time frame that rookies have. I think it's encouraging to hear some of the positive intangibles about Kyra based on the fact that I do think guys that – are coachable, like you said, and guys that pick up stuff quickly are going to have a bigger advantage this year than any other year, just because you don't have time to spend months and weeks studying the playbook and drilling on different things. So, you know, hopefully that's something that's going to benefit him a lot as we get into uh, as we, as we get into preseason games coming up here rapidly, as well as the regular season, which starts in less or for the Pelicans starts exactly two weeks from now, which is crazy. So, um, another topic that I think came up a lot at the very beginning of media availability for training camp was uh, the pairing between Zion and Steven Adams in the, in the front court. Um, One of the things I think was interesting. And I think I can't remember which podcast they talked about this, but um, favors to kind of back up a little bit, some of the concern or, or, you know, people wondering about that, that duo is the spacing, but I've heard people talk about recently how, I mean, it's not like favors was shooting a ton of threes. And that duo did really well, is that starting that starting group did incredibly well from say mid-January to the end, the season shutting down in March. But um, but what do you think as far as just strengths and weaknesses of that pairing? And again, I know some of this stuff you want to actually see it on the court, just like with everything else, but um, what are kind of your initial takeaways as far as is those two guys playing together?
1: Yeah, I thought it was very interesting at the very beginning of the training camp when Stan Van Gundy said, hey, we're going to be a different type of team when you play the Pelicans on Tuesday, it's not going to be like the team you played on Sunday or the team you're going to play on Wednesday. We're a very different type of team. We're going to play with a different type of style and it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to that when, you know, that they, they were this high flying, super fast paced, shooting a hundred threes last year and they're going to try to take on an identity of being much more tough nosed much more defensive-minded, much more physical. And I think that's all it's going to start with Zion and Steven Adams in the middle. And I think as much as, like you said, I think the fave Zion pairing was a lot better than people thought it was going to be at certain points. I think it was a little struggle at times during a bubble. Yeah. Uh, but I think with Steven Adams, he's a much different type of player than Derek Favors. I think he's much more skilled in half-court situations as a passer as a guy who can score, you know, with those little floaters, those little touch shots he puts up. Uh, You know, the the one thing we used to always laugh about watching OKC games was the first possession of every game. You can count on them feeding Steven Adams in the post, making sure he gets his touch. And that was probably going to be his only shot of the game, but they made sure he got that touch to start the game off. Uh, So I think he has those type of skills, but, you know, he's a guy who doesn't care about his shots. He just wants to do the dirty work wants to get rebounds and set picks. That's all he cares about. Uh, so I think he can do a little bit more than, than Fave did, and I think that's going to help. Uh, but this is going to be a different type of team, and they're going to try to pound people in the paint with Zion and Steven Adams, and the more those guys complement each other, I think the more this offense can flourish but it's going to be an adjustment and it's going to be a lot on guys like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo ball to continue their shooting from last year. Because I think we got used to seeing those guys hit a whole lot of shots last year, but you know, that was the best season they had in the NBA as far as three point shooting. And a lot of times when the analytical people see that they say, well, is that kind of just a deviation or is that a trend? And I think that's the big question for both of those guys. Can they can continue that or will there be a drop off? And if there is, I think that's going to affect the spacing as well. But I I like the Zion and and Steven Adams pairing. I think those guys are going to love playing together. Their their personalities fit amazingly well. It's just a matter of the shooting around them and how much they can help those guys create spacing. Uh, But I think it'll it'll work out pretty well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general too, from a broad standpoint, I feel like if the team can improve drastically defensively and and rebounding-wise, Um, I think the offense is definitely something that people don't worry a ton about, but like you said, there are, there definitely are concerns about the shooting as far as team wise, what they can do. So I'm looking forward to those two guys though, as far as the the two areas that I mentioned with, with what they can do in the paint. So, um, one of the things I kind of wanted to transition over to some league wide topics. I think these are things that you've, you've asked about maybe briefly during some of the media availability or things that I asked about because I was curious about, but, um, uh, what, what do you think what, – what's your thoughts? I don't know if we've, we've gotten into this yet as far as the play-in format and just the, the, the fact that that might have on the regular season, the fact that it's, you know, 7 through 10 now, um, and obviously both conferences are going to be that way. But what was your – maybe your initial reaction when you first heard about that, the way that they were going to set that up?
1: Yeah, I think it's an amazing idea. And I'm glad they stretched it out to to 10, 10 teams that could possibly get in rather than uh, what it was, 9 during the bubble yeah. last year. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think – you know, what we always, you know, guys like us who who have to watch every single game throughout the season, what we begrudge the most is that post All-Star where, you know, half of the league's out of it. And then you watch some of these games and it's like, man, I have no idea who these five guys are on the court. <laughs> and It's like some of these teams after All-Star break, they just look into the draft lottery and they can care less about the last 20 games of the season. And not only is it bad for us who just enjoy watching good basketball, but it's bad for the fans who want to watch their favorite team, who want to watch their team compete, want to see them actually care. And when you're watching the last 15 games of the season and your team is playing all G leaguers, you know, it's just bad for the product that the NBA is trying to put on the court. So I think the more teams that feel like they're in it, the better one. And I think too, I wrote this before that. Well, I think what we're going to see in a lot of these games and you saw it last year where a lot of times these 9, 10, 11 teams are going to be teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, like the New Orleans Pelicans, where you got some young guys who weren't quite ready early in the season, maybe got hot later in the season, and maybe they're they're really looking forward to get a chance to play in a playoff environment. And then they push their way into the playing tournament, and now you get to see John Morant play in a real playoff environment. And you saw last year against Portland, he probably had the best game of his career. And I think that's great for the NBA to see these young guys playing in meaningful games and kind of shining under the big lights and I think we're going to see more of that going forward with these playing games so I think it's great for the product to one limit uh tanking and I mean we're not going to get rid of tanking as long as there are Zion Williamson's at the top of the draft teams are going to tank to try to go get those guys but I think as much as you can limit the number of teams doing it the better for the product and I think some of these playing games are going to have Really fun young stars looking forward to that moment. And I think they're going to be really fun games. And kind of like NCAA tournament type of environments, whereas win or go home. And I think we love those type of games.
2: Sure. And I think one thing that, you know, obviously we don't know what the situation is going to be as far as fans and arenas this season. And it's going to vary from place to place. But one of the things that I thought about as far as the last part of the regular season that you touched on, which can really be kind of a a drag as far as when you're watching teams that are both out of the race. But I think if there's arenas that don't have fans in it, I think some of those games are going to be even worse at the end of the season Mm -hmm. as as far as if you have a bunch of teams that are out of the race and they don't have anything to play for. And you add in that there's not, not much of an environment in the arena, it's going to be kind of a slog to get through those. So I think the the play in format, I think can't help, but add to um, how many more games matter at this year, it'll be, you know, May 1st to May 15th, but in a normal year, the games in April, um, I think this will will definitely make it so that there, there won't be multiple games on the night on the NBA schedule. If there's eight, 10 games around the league, you won't be able to say like, oh, these three or four are completely meaningless, hopefully in this new format. So I think that I agree with you that it, I think it, it could definitely be a big positive. Um, last thing that I was going to ask you about before I go back to Daniel was um, what, what was your reaction to the to the rest policy? Rule that the the NBA came up with as far as is is that new or is that kind of just uh just kind of re- trying to reinforce and and um I guess enforce is the right way to to put it just try to enforce that more than it has been in the past.
1: Yeah, I think the NBA sell it as a as a new emphasis on the rule or you know like you said a reinforcement of the rule, but I've all felt like man, it's just so hard to kind of enforce these rules, especially during a season like this, where, I mean, we saw the schedule, basically the entire league is playing every other day yeah. <laughs> up to the end of the season, which is insane for these guys. When you throw in the travel factor, uh, I think, you know, One guy in particular I want to keep an eye on with this fellow, J.J. Redick because he talked at the end of the year about how he was just dealing with a lot of knickknack injuries, and that was an issue where, where some of his numbers were kind of tailing off during certain stretches of the season just because he wasn't right. And I think uh, during a season like this is going to make sense to give him a day or two off, but then when the NBA is coming through with these type of rules where you're threatening teams to take away money, you're taking away draft picks and all that kind of stuff, I, I think – you know, it's a lot to uh, you know when you're asking so much of these guys during a shortened season, and I think the when we get into these gray areas, where they're saying, well. It's okay when it's a local broadcast, but national TV, you got to play everybody and you can't sit out a star guy. So then the NBA will say, well, who's a star? You know, who exactly exactly is a star? Are you saying, so if you're the Pelicans, are you saying just Brandon Ingram Zion Williamson are classified as stars or is Lonzo Ball a star? Is JJ Redick a star? I don't know. I think it's going to be really difficult to really enforce all of these rules, but I understand where the NBA is coming from, especially during a season like this, where there's going to be so much emphasis on getting people in front of TVs to watch NBA games because they can't go to the arena. I think you want to make sure that TV product is as good as possible, but I just don't know how they can really enforce this during this season. I think maybe to do this next season would have made a lot more sense, Mm. but with the COVID protocols going on and we know teams are going to lose guys at some point due to COVID and you got to manage that along with these, this crazy schedule where you're playing every other night. I just don't know how you can really say you have to play everybody no matter what, or you're going to get in trouble. I just think it's kind of backwards to be honest. What about,
2: I got a crazy idea. What about we we randomly pick who we consider stars and they have to play at least 25 minutes?
1: <laughs> oh no, I think we've been there before. I think we've been there <laughs> Maybe maybe we'll talk about that
2: off air, but that's just that was just something that uh. Do they
1: finish the first fourth quarter? Is the question? Do they finish <laughs> the fourth quarter?
0: A predetermined list of which players are approved to the have to play each game and which ones are are able to sit out. You know, that's I can tell point. you.
1: Let, I can let's tell look. you, no matter what happens with that list, Alonzo Ball fans will be very unhappy. Either way, <laughs> whichever way it goes, they're gonna be very unhappy about this list. The
2: writers should decide. We should let the writers decide who who they deem to be stars and who isn't. So one, one quick thing, I know Daniel, it wants to close this out, but uh, it is, it is interesting to, to, I was thinking about this from the Pelicans. Like who would have thought a few years ago that if that rule is applied as far as national TV games, that that's something that the Pelicans have to be concerned about because they have so many national TV games. <laughs> it's like, I'm, who would have thought that that would be the case a few years ago. But it, I mean, it, it is a good problem to have, and I do believe—don't quote me on this—but I think there's only one or two cases, at least in the schedule that's been released so far, where they're on national TV and it's the second game of a back-to-back. So hopefully that won't come into play um, too much. But I'll, I'll stop there before I
1: go any
0: further. We can, we can do, yeah, a whole and that's something discussion.
1: that. Uh... <laughs> Right, exactly. And that's something that J.J. brought up yesterday, right, was that like, hey, NBA, you want to help yourself out? Stop putting teams on national TV on the second night of a back-to-back. That way you won't get guys sitting up. So I think the NBA has to help themselves out along with reinforcing these rules as well.
0: Yeah, because then you're going to force teams to maybe have to sit someone in the first game of a back-to-back, which could be a crucial game for them, and then have to play them the second game because they are, you know, they have to play and not rest. So it is going to be interesting to see how teams deal with that During the season. Will, before I let you go, I wanted to talk about some of the work you've done recently um, with the athletic. Uh, Two stories that really caught a lot of people's eyes are the Zion Williamson one, uh, just on his basically his mixtape in high school and how, you know, how much where it all started. And then the Stephen Adams one, all the stories that have been told to you about Stephen Adams uh, was fantastic. I guess we'll start with the Zion one and kind of what stuck out to you the most when doing that article.
1: Man, it was just funny to see, uh, just talking to a bunch of these different guys from Overtime, Baller's Life, how the Zion phenomenon just came out of nowhere. And, and like, I asked a bunch of these guys, hey, what was the first time you heard about Zion? And a bunch of them were like, one guy told me, hey, I was at an AAU tournament filming another guy. And I turned around and I saw the Zion just dunk on this guy. And I was like, okay, let me shift my focus over to this court and see what's going on with this dude. And one guy tells me, yeah, I went to this dunk contest in New York looking to see Hamadou Diallo i believe is still with the oklahoma city thunder and you know he just happened to go against this kid zion williamson from south carolina and he's doing all of these crazy dunks and we had to completely shift our program to make sure we film this guy so it, it, as much as we kind of feel like zion has been a part of our lives forever the phenomenon just hit out of nowhere right before his junior season and it just completely blew up. Uh, and I mean, this guy, and again, we've talked about this so much, and it feels like, you know, we're constantly talk, complimenting Zion on this. But man, just to think to have so much fame and so much attention at 16 years old, 15 years old, where you walk into a gym and there's 20 cameras on the sideline filming every little thing you do, and to have his personality where he's so humble and he's so grounded. And he's friends with all his teammates, and he's and he's kind of has this all guy, all, all shucks kind of you know uh, personality. Whenever you ask him some of these questions, it's insane because I know. If I was that famous at 16, you know, I, I would be walking around with shades. I'll be ignoring all the gym's calls. Like, I, I wouldn't know how to act if I was that famous. But man, this guy's lived a different type of life, and it's crazy. And I, and I, you know, hearing these stories, it makes me jealous because as a former high school guy, I would love to be in some of those gyms back in the day when he was at Spartanburg, and just seeing the environment, uh, just how crazy these people are going because you got to remember this is south carolina this is not like california or new york or chicago where they're used to seeing stars come through every year like this is a kid like in the middle of nowhere south carolina doing 360 windmills jumping over these kids in games and he's just dominating at the high school level so yeah it was really fun to hear all of those old stories about just you know how insane it was to see this guy come out of nowhere and just dominate high school basketball in south carolina
0: yeah, if if you were famous in high school, you'd be too cool to even be on this podcast right now. So we're just, we're just very <laughs> gracious. I mean, I'm surprised you're you're even letting us talk to you today. So I'm I'm pretty pumped that you're on the podcast today. <laughs> I'm no, you I'm, know, I'm-, picturing, I'm picturing Will Guillory and I arguing
2: about heaves at the end of quarters, and we have a this really heated argument. And at the end, Will Guillory says, "Jim, you know what the answer is." The answer is I'm Will Guillory and you're not. That's enough from you. That's the season I'm pictured after I heard that scenario.
1: Jim, listen to the famous people, okay? The the famous people always know best, all right?
0: Sure, gotcha. Uh, well, before I let you go, as my Zoom meeting here is running out here, since I don't pay for the extra stuff, that's on me and our budget here. But um, talk to me about Stephen Adams, because it seems like every time we hear that he's going to talk to the media, I'm just ready for, for something for him to say. But you wrote an article about stories that you received from other writers as soon as it was announced that Stephen Adams was going to join the Pelicans. Is there a favorite one from what you wrote without giving away your entire article that, you know, or was there just, just from listening in the last couple of media availabilities or anything that just kind of sticks out to you?
1: oh man that's tough as you guys can see in the background I don't know if the people, the podcast people can see I, I love me some sneakers it's been common a few times during uh, Zoom calls that I love me some sneakers I take pride yep. in my sneaker collection and to hear the story about uh, Steven Adams Adidas guy you know uh, you know these shoe guys I don't know how much people notice at home they basically just get boxes of shoes sent to them all the time they don't even know what shoes are coming they just get them and Steven Adams happens to get a pair of Yeezys which is like this really high end shoe people pay some people pay thousands of dollars for these Air Yeezy shoes from Kanye West. And Steven Adams is out there rocking the Yeezys, doing work in the farm, you know, picking up uh, cow manure and stuff like that, and <laughs> the Yeezys and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, mate, whatever. You know, it's just a pair of shoes, mate. Who cares? You know, That's just Steven Adams. And I've got a really good one. Uh, you guys pick, taking people behind the curtain here, you guys were asking me about if there are any stories that didn't make the cut that I can tell. And a few of them are a little X-rated, so I I won't say, but I just had one pop into my head when you asked me. I got to shout out the Fred Katz for giving me this one this is a really good story uh so he tells me that back when Steven was in uh in middle school or elementary school one of those you know Steven Adams grew up in his huge family got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters they all fought you know as you can imagine he's super tough because he just got beat up by his brothers all the time when he was younger so uh Steven Adams gets into with this guy in elementary school the guy pushes him over they start uh they start tussling or whatever Steven hits the guy and then Steven just stops and everybody's kind of looking at him like, well, what are you doing, Steven? Like, it's a fight. You got to keep fighting. Right. And Steven's like, well, no, mate, I hit him It's turn to hate me. You know, this is how it goes. Right. He's like, it's like, no, Steven, you got to keep fighting. You don't just, it's not like we just exchange punches. That's not how a fight goes. Like Steve like, no, that's just how I'm used to it. Mate. So it's just like, he's just one of those guys. Like I think that tells you about how Steven Adams plays the game. Like he just, he not only loves the, the, the deal out punishment. He doesn't mind taking it as well. He just, he doesn't care. He, he you can hit him you can punch him all you want he, he he doesn't feel it he's been dealing with that his whole life so yeah i mean that's just the type of stories you hear about steven all the time is he's a different type of dude and i love having him on these zoom calls because he's hilarious he, he's got something funny to say every time and i thought it was pretty hilarious when he said stand back on he's about yay high but he's got <laughs> a crazy voice <laughs> oh man yeah that's a fantastic story
0: i'm glad you were able to share that with us make sure you go if you have subscribe to athletic if not do so and make sure you follow will's work and follow him on twitter at will Gillery. um really good stuff on stephen adams and zion williamson i'm sure there's plenty more to come here as the season approaches Will, i appreciate the time my friend
1: i appreciate you guys for having me looking forward to doing more of these and arguing with jim about half court shots it's gonna be a fun season we're almost here guys
0: yep i'm ready to go (laughs) sounds good guys we'll be back with another podcast probably on mondays we'll preview pelicans and heaton first preseason game but until then, for Will and Jim, I'm Daniel. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.